and welcome to the One Degree Shift podcast. I'm your host, Eric Termundi, and I'm excited to introduce you to the wonderful guests I've got on season two and the little things they're doing to create a more intentional future for themselves, for their teams, and for the communities around them. I hope you enjoy. Lisa Genovese, thank you so much for joining the One Degree Shift podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here because through the little bit of research that I've done, I'm I'm excited to hear how you think, how you process, how you do the work you do, why you do the work you do. Uh, but first, I think we need to understand what is the work that you do and uh, what excites you most about it right now? So we often get put in the marketing agency bucket, but mm-hmm. bottom line is really a market research consultancy who also happens to do marketing. Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of in a nutshell, um, we get put in that traditional agency bucket, but we're anything but traditional. Okay. <laughs> what does it mean to be not traditional? We have a lot of out of box thinkers on our team. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we really believe in a data-driven approach. I don't mm-hmm. believe in telling a client they should do X, Y, or Z with their business or with their marketing, if there isn't some information to support why. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're a lot of research nerds and geeks uh, who uses that information to come up with those like crazy, big, hairy, audacious goal type Mm -hmm. ideas. And and then really champion those clients to roll those out. And and we call them challenger brands. And I love it. (laughs) So what does, what does bottom line collect in terms of data that give you some of the insights and the unique approach that you have? What, what, what questions are you asking that others aren't? That's an excellent question. To that point, asking good questions is really, there, there's nothing secret sauce about that, mm-hmm. but really making sure that you're digging in deep and, and asking the things that your competitors aren't, uh, really not being afraid to mystery shop your competition and understand what is... Mm-hmm. What is it that they aren't doing that your brand should be doing? That's where a lot of that gold comes from. So there's simple interviews, surveys, some focus groups, but really it comes back to that asking good questions. Um, Of course, we'll pull from other studies that are out there um, if the answer exists, but we want to, you know, talk to our our clients' clients um, and help them understand why, you know, did they choose that particular brand? Uh, but more importantly, what makes that end customer or consumer tick? And what is what's that that process for them? Um, and what may be missing also in their customer journey that, you know, our client can can offer or deliver to them? Do we often know what's missing? You know, there's, there's that we, we know what we know, of course, we, we know what we don't know, but we don't know, of course, what we don't know either. And sometimes it takes us a little bit to wrap our heads around, but, um, you know, the more we learn about the world, the more we learn that we don't know about the world too. And I think that that's sort of might feed into the, into the question more directly. Yeah. The, you know, not knowing what you don't know, oh, such a mm-hmm. good one. Most of the time clients are saying, oh, I had no idea right. that that even existed. And it's because they're too close to their own tree. And so that mm. objective is really what helps uncover whatever that one thing or multiple things are. Mm. We're with a lot of clients who may have, you know, a BI team, business intelligence team in-house, but that BI team sometimes gets stuck because they are so close to it. Yeah. And that yeah. objective view that can come in and say, well, hey, did you think of this? And, and all you guys are like, wow, how did we miss that? It is so blatantly obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
sometimes it doesn't have to be complicated. It's mm -hmm. merely back to that, ask good questions and um, look at it objectively. What do we get most wrong about marketing? Oh my God. So many things. The biggest one, not understanding your customer. I find it so frustrating how people will just roll out a new website or roll out a new campaign without really thinking through what messages do those end customers need to hear in order mm -hmm. to buy? What journey is that customer actually going to take when they interact with your company? Marketing does not have to be complicated. It can be simple, but it's doing that homework and that foundation piece first that people are getting wrong. And back to that data-informed decisions, the numbers don't lie. They cannot tell you the number of times that I sit down with a client and they're like, oh, we're really sure on who our customer is. We, we know this. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. It's our job to validate whether you're right. And so we'll go run a study and find that the customer is dead wrong. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way. I mean that in a, you know, these business owners or, you know, marketing teams are coming from a good place and they are confident that they know, but they mm -hmm. haven't gone through those exercises nine times out of 10 to really validate whether those assumptions are true. And educated guesses in today's marketplace they're dangerous. <laughs> how, how, you know, it's, it's, it's no secret that the slowest the world will continue to change is today. Mm -hmm. The world around us is, is moving. I don't you'd like to use the word exponential because I think it's often misused and, and not necessarily true, but the world is moving quick, whether we're looking at, at, at Moore's law with technology, or we're looking at the knowledge doubling curve, whatever that might be. How, how much does our customer change and how often do we have to touch base with them? Uh, given that how our customers might use our product or service change, how our customers might change, how the service of the product themselves might change, how our team might change, and then how in turn our product shows up in the market might change. Walk me through sort of what that looks like. Is it is it cumbersome? Is it consistent? Is it something that obviously I, I doubt we do once and then leave? Can you talk to me about the process a little bit? Um, and I just want to clarify, are you meaning from a perspective of what's the rule of thumb for all businesses? Is there one? Uh, or, or is there not? I mean, how, how, how do we approach this feedback from our customer? You know, because you don't just do it January 1st and then you're done. What does that process of understanding the customer look like and, and how cumbersome might it be for the business who's trying to better understand what their wants and needs are? Excellent question. And so there is not a standard answer to this. Definitely some people would think that there is, but I mm -hmm. feel that it really needs to be based on, again, who are your customers? What industry are you in? Yeah. Um, and what those customers need. So for sure, do not leave it 12 months before you talk to your customers. Mm -hmm. I think like a quarterly basis should be the minimum, no matter what industry that you're in. Um, that frequency, you know, may dial up in a B2B setting where it is more, you know, customer service focused, um, if you're, you know, in ongoing projects on a regular basis, you can have more, more conversations. Um, when you're in a retail environment, quarterly is probably more realistic. The point is, is back to that customer centric, what do those customers need? And then to your question of how do you use that data or what do you do with that information? Well, you listen to it. Um, do you take you know, every single little piece of information that comes through and say, okay, we're changing everything in the company because one person said they didn't like X. Well, no, but if there's a common theme that you find, do something with it. Actually listen to what your customers have had to say. It's one of the things I find mm -hmm. frustrating with, um, you know, research studies or even people that run 
surveys within their company to understand what's going on with their company culture is that they'll ask the question, but then they never actually do anything with the data. Right. Um, and it's, it's a complete waste. So sounds like an employee engagement survey from the HR world too. We'll ask a lot of folks what they think was going on and find out it's, it's fairly dismal and then hope that it gets better next year with a pretty right. action plan in place. Right. You know, okay. So I, I, I've got a, a specific question. I'm, I'm working with someone who's trying to identify his lane. Okay. So he's in the, he's in the speaking business, but I don't think this is dissimilar to anyone who's uh, selling a product or a service either. And he's trying to get uh, feedback from the market Okay. And one of the things that we've been talking about as he's trying to establish his lane and establish who his, his target really is. And again, I think this would apply to a product or service of any kind as well, is that he's catching feedback pretty much anywhere he can get it. Now, now my concern with something like this is that he's getting feedback from people that aren't necessarily his target that isn't necessarily going to serve him better you know, what's, what's your thought on generally surveying the market and getting positive and negative feedback from, from people who may or may not be who your target is in the end? How do you actually determine what's good information and what's not? And then in turn, what do you do with it? Oh, such a good question. I'm sure you can see me smirking. I can, I can. <laughs> My most favorite Brene Brown quote is, like, I may not get it right, so I'm going to butcher this. Mm. Uh, if you're not in the arena getting your ass kicked like I am, I'm not interested in your feedback. Right. Was, wow. That mm-hmm. is so powerful, but also so true. Mm-hmm. And, and this goes for when you're gathering market research data as well. So if you're getting feedback from somebody who isn't your target audience, I would probably coach that person to put that in what I would call the parking lot uh, and focus on the feedback um, from the people that are in your target audience. It doesn't mean that that what's in the parking lot gets completely ignored. There's probably some gems in there, but I would be looking for uh, the common themes from those people that are in the end target audience and what's most important to them first and kind of use what's in the parking lot as a secondary metric. If there's something that lines up that both groups are saying, hey, X, Y, Z sucks, or mm-hmm. hey, X, Y, Z is really great. Well, you validated on both sides, but right. pay attention to who you're actually trying to sell to or market to first. Does our language and how we show up in the market, does that mold to where the, the best sales opportunity might be? Or is it something that we should be more true to ourselves and have the market find us? Is there a balance between the two? Also a good question. When it comes to crafting a message, I think, again, make sure that it resonates with who you enjoy working with the most. But Mm -hmm. I would also argue that make sure that who you enjoy working with the most is your most profitable group. Sure. Right. If if it's not, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Maybe that becomes a CSR initiative or something to that nature. But we're in business to make money. Um, It's not a dirty word. So Mm -hmm. I would be looking at you know, who do I enjoy working with the most that makes me the most profit? Um, and that is where I gear my message towards. It doesn't mean that you can't look at, you know, the other stuff, but that again, is kind of that parking lot or afterthought. And if you've got a product, you might be testing that in the market too. So would that, would that buyer potentially change or, or, or how we're or putting that language out into that market change too? We could, um, yeah. what you, if you're, if it's a new product or something that you're floating mm-hmm. out there, place, you may actually find in your travels that there's a different market that wants to buy that product that you had no idea existed. And 
it's okay sometimes to say, hey, I was wrong about this when I did my research. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a better segment to focus on. So you can, I'm not going to say pivot. God, I hate that word. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you can shift um, your messaging if you find something that uh, better suits product or service. Of course. Okay. So the One Degree Shift podcast is is, is very bite-sized. And I perhaps am, am already coming to, to my last question. Time does fly when, when you're having fun. And I think I want to go back to this idea of the questions that we ask. Now we're looking to better understand our product fit in the market. We're looking to better get feedback from uh, our customers and from our clients. Where do we start in terms of the questions that we're asking um, so that a, we get a good response, but I also get this feeling that a fear that I've always had is that you don't want to ask these questions. Number one, in fear of response, which I think it's, you got to get over that. Uh, but number two, that you don't want to like ask a favor of, of folks or make it cumbersome uh, on them to give me feedback on something that I'm trying to figure out. So how, what's that art of asking for feedback without asking for too much, but still getting the information that you need. Okay. Really, really great question. And the first thing I'm going to say is by asking someone a favor, you actually, and I could geek out on consumer behavior psychology right, right, right. for an hour, um, but by asking someone a favor, it actually makes them trust you more. Mm. So what's interesting is that the psychology for your client, if you ask for that favor, they're going to feel close to closer to you as a brand. Yep. And actually yep. they're going to want, want to give that feedback to you, whether right. it's positive or negative. Right. Um, in terms of the questions that you, that you ask, don't ask the canned boilerplate, boring ask questions that mm-hmm. no one cares about. You know, like, so why did you choose to work with XY that company? And what, like, no, ask, like, what is, what is your favorite part about working with us? What's mm-hmm. your least favorite part about working with us? What are you most excited about when you see our email in your inbox? Um, mm-hmm. What does that trigger for you? Like th- those types of questions are going to get you so much more than just the standard, why did you choose us? They're mm-hmm. going to say, because you do a good job, because you've got a proven track. Of course, yeah. And that tells you nothing. Uh, the other thing, if you're doing an interview is don't be afraid to kind of pick pick apart a little bit what they've told you. So it's, it's just like the art of podcast interviewing. You'd be mm-hmm. excellent at it, Eric. You know, if they give you an answer and tell you, you know, I get really excited about X um, and that's where their answer stops. Well, then ask the why. Mm-hmm. Ask what's behind that. What's yeah. the motivation for them? So, okay. Then I, I lied about the last question because I've got another <laughs> last question for you. And, and, and that's because I know you're coming from Calgary. Uh, I went to the university of Calgary myself, lived in Calgary for, for many years and uh, for better or worse, well, in this case for better, but perhaps in the feedback realm, worse Calgary has among the nicest people in the country and getting real feedback from a Calgarian or a Canadian can be really tough. I mean, I know that from the keynoting space, if someone didn't like my keynote, they'd probably say, yeah, you know, it was pretty good. <laughs> and that would be it. If someone really didn't like it, they might say, yeah, you know, it might need a, a tiny bit of work. Whereas if you go south of the border, they'll say, you know, minute seven was trash. I thought it was awful. It made me feel this way. And they give me really specifics because they're more blunt and upfront. Um, and that's not good or bad. It just is what it is. How do you get real good constructive feedback from a Canadian who's not used to being negative in any way, shape or form? You ask a question that they have no choice, but to give you the feedback. So the feed, the question has to be geared in such a way that it is open-ended. Mm-hmm. And so if you ask what, what do you feel when uh, we'll go to your keynote example, sure. 
how did you feel about my keynote? And when they say, oh, it was okay. Be like, great. Can you tell me what are two areas that I could improve upon? Mm-hmm. A nice Canadian isn't going to say, well, it was all great and you shouldn't improve on anything. Right. You're going to say, okay, come on now, humor me here. It wasn't all perfect. Would you yeah. be willing to share with me? Just what are two things that I can improve on so I can be better? So you turn it into a positive spin, but you yeah. ask, you'll get it. Lisa, this has been absolutely fantastic. And I'm curious then if, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, or if there's something that you want to share with us as we wrap up, um, what might you say, or how might people get in touch with you? Uh, this has been really fun. And, uh, probably the best way to get in touch with me is, uh, LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on that platform. So feel free to connect, um, or hop over to our website. We are There's lots more information there as well. Fantastic. Lisa, I hope you have a great day and thanks again for your time today. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.